the name of Jesus, amen. I don't like it when my socks don't fit, when they, when they droop. You know, when they, they kind of uh, lose the stretchiness, so they, they fall down uh, around your ankles. Uh, I'm, I'm assuming that I'm uh, not alone in not liking that. It's not a comfortable feeling, I guess. But I have an inordinate distaste for droopy socks. And the reason I have an inordinate distaste for droopy socks is a photograph I saw when I was uh, very young, a little boy, of a man with droopy socks. It's a black and white photo, and it's a picture of this man. He's wearing a dark suit, and he's seated on a dark dark couch. And there's a young girl standing next to him. He's seated. She's standing. A pretty girl in in a, a white dress. And the man's socks are droopy. But it's not because the stretchiness has, has worn out. You don't have to know uh, the story behind the picture uh, to realize that uh, from looking at this man's gaunt face and the fact that the dark suit he's wearing is, uh, is, is too big, that the man has lost a lot of weight recently, and that's the reason his, his socks are droopy. I do know the back story, however. Uh, The picture was taken in May of 1960 in Belleville, Michigan, where I grew up. The girl in the picture is my mother. She did give me permission to tell this story. And she is wearing a pretty white dress because the picture was taken on the day of her confirmation. The man sitting next to her is her father, her dad, my grandfather. Uh, My grandfather, Grandpa Cry, had been the pastor of St. Paul's Lutheran Church in Belleville. He had been my mother's pastor. He had taught her most of her confirmation classes and would have been the one to confirm her um, had he not been diagnosed with cancer about five months before, which explains the socks and the suit. Also explains the the labored looks, uh, the labored looks, trying to smile but not quite able on both my grandfather's and my mom's face in the picture. He'd become too weak to continue pastoring um, St. Paul's, so someone else had done church that day while he stayed home and, and had done the confirmation for my mother and the other people in her class. But since he had been the one to teach them for the great majority of the class, the whole confirmation class came over to their house afterwards for pictures with the man who had done most of their teaching. Uh, my mom says that her dad stood for photos with many of the kids, but by the time it was her turn, he was just too tired to stand up or to pull up his socks. I can't imagine what must have been going through uh, my grandfather's mind. I'm not even strong enough to stand up for my own daughter's confirmation picture. I'm sure he tried, which is why in that photo he is sitting And my mother is standing. The Reverend Orville Walter Bernard Cry, Orville's my middle name, he died a few months later. Which is why I hate droopy socks. Because of the detail of that picture of that man 
whom I only know from pictures and stories. It is so sad. I hate droopy socks because they make me think of death and hopelessness and sadness. You may not like, may not dislike droopy socks like I do. It's my personal hang-up. But I'm guessing that everyone here and all those watching or listening have their own droopy sock stories or 10 or their droopy sock pictures. So sad pictures that for you bespeak death and sadness and hopelessness. And if perhaps, perhaps that's not true and you're young or sheltered or just lucky and don't have those yet, well, then you can pack this sermon away for later because they'll come eventually. Or, absent a picture, you can just reread the first few verses of our Old Testament lesson for this fifth Sunday in Lent from the 37th chapter of the prophet Ezekiel. For that offers a so sad, so hopeless, so full of death picture. It absolutely reeks of death and hopelessness and, and sadness. You see, Ezekiel, just a little backstory on that one. Ezekiel, he had been a priest in Jerusalem at the end of the 7th century in the, the beginning of the 6th century B.C., He'd been a priest there until, that is, until 597 B.C., when the Babylonians, savage, aggressive, invaded and slaughtered a bunch of people and deported Ezekiel and many of the prominent folks to Babylon, which is where Ezekiel was when he received his call to prophesy. Ezekiel 1, where said he's, he's seated by the river Kabar in Babylon with a bunch of the other exiles, probably moping around when he receives this glorious vision to prophesy, to prophesy, amongst other things, the utter destruction of Jerusalem. That first blow from the Babylonians just been kind of teach them a lesson. But, but Ezekiel's job was to prophesy the utter destruction of Jerusalem, complete devastation of the temple that was yet to come. And a funny thing about Ezekiel, there's lots of funny things about Ezekiel, actually, some crazy prophecies. But one of the unique things about Ezekiel is that, like his rough contemporary Jeremiah, Ezekiel actually lived to see the things that he prophesied be fulfilled, including that destruction when in 587 B.C. the Babylonians returned to finish the job with an utter, bloody, devastating destruction and a mass Deportation it was such a bloody, horrific event that traditional Jews to this day mourn that day for three weeks every year and recognize it with a 24-hour fast on a day called Tisha B'Av. That's with his vision. This, this vision, the vision of the dry bones comes in. We're told, we're told that the Lord was upon Ezekiel, the Spirit. I don't know what it means. The, the Spirit of the Lord was upon him, and whether that means it was a vision of some sort, or it swooshed him up and teleported him, but he took him to this valley, teleported him, we're told, to the valley. Not just a valley, but it says the valley. I think that makes us want to, to regard this valley as one that everyone kind of knew. It's the valley, the worst of the valleys. 
The battlefield valley where the slaughter was the greatest and so the, the bones were the most. And mind you that the Lord didn't just show Ezekiel like he was hovering the drone over this battlefield. He set him down in the midst of it. And not just that, but led him around. Led him on a tour, maybe forced him on some kind of morbid tour. For remember, Ezekiel had lived there. This was a personal picture for him. All those bones had names and, and stories attached to them. In fact, maybe that was part of the tour, that, that God leading Ezekiel through this, this gruesome valley, pointing out the bones of those he had actually known and loved, maybe still even grieved. Like an old soldier might walk through a, a military cemetery, reading the names off tombstones of the men and women he'd known when, as the song goes, he wore a, a younger man's clothes. Of course, no tombstones in the valley, in the valley. The slaughter had been too great and too vicious to allow for anybody to get buried or proper care for the body. Just bones, many bones, we're told. Not just many bones, but dry bones. Not just dry bones, but very dry bones. So very sad, so very dead, so very hopeless. And then, and then God, with that question to Ezekiel, sounds almost cruelly rhetorical. Tell me. Can these bones live? Can there be a temple and a people uh, uh, again? Lord God, you know, responds Ezekiel, which sounds to me like, a, why do you have to rub it in, God? Like someone forcing that little girl to explain why her dad's socks don't fit right. Sounds mean. Can these bones live? If it had been someone other than God asking the question, I imagine Ezekiel, Ezekiel would have been less deferential than, Lord God, you know. Of course, you know. <laughs> you know where the story goes from here. You, you know the story even if you hadn't heard it read this morning because you probably know the song, right? Ezekiel cried out, dim, dry bones. How it goes, toe bone connected to the foot bone. You know, you know how the song goes and how it all comes together. And in fact, the story, like a book better than the movie, the story in the Bible is better than the song. God says to Ezekiel, he says, uh, tell these bones that I've got something to say. Tell them to listen up. Tell them that I'm about to blow wind and life into them and bone to bone and flesh on them and sinews and muscles and all that. Then as soon as Ezekiel starts to tell them what God is going to do, God starts it already. <laughs> Which I think is a beautiful detail. It's like God wanted to draw Ezekiel into the story. He made him feel in his bones the grief of that valley and all the dry bones, but then he makes him feel in his bones and the life coming back into them. The bones and the skin and the muscles come together, and then this great wind, whoosh, the spirit of the living God that blows life Right into those so dry, so hopeless, so sad, so dead bones. Now so supple and so impassioned and so glad and so alive. The point is unmistakable. Can these bones live, God said. Can they? <laughs> Heck yes they can and they shall. Lord, you know. <laughs> what kind of pitiful answer is that? I'm the Lord God Almighty for crying out loud. I open graves and I create somethings from nothings and life from deaths and hopes from despairs and homecomings from exiles. Can they live? Son and daughter of man, how can they not? You know, this is not a complicated reading. 
It is not a complicated vision. I don't think there's too many little uh, mysteries to crack. And this is not a complicated sermon either. But the gospel is not a complicated word. This is not a complicated sermon, but it is a sermon that I need to hear today. I need to hear this sermon and you with me because there are things and people that I have more or less given up on. People and relationships, aspects of myself that I've deemed hopeless, never going to change, always going to be that way. And so have you. And then you have your droopy sock stories and pictures on top of that. And today, right here, right now, right wherever you're hearing this, God is plopping you and me right down in the middle of the valley, leading us around it and saying, yes, heck yes, those bones, these bones, they shall live. That the final chapter of your droopy sock stories is not death, but life. You know, if, if you, were, you were here this morning, it's just, just Eric and Sarah, you might say that it's a, it's a little breezy. That's because I turned the ceiling fans on high. <laughs> and if I can get away with it, I think I might leave them that way all the time. Maybe we can even get turbo fans. <laughs> Why? So when I'm here, I'm reminded of the wind, which Ezekiel felt. That movement that blowing of the the spirit of the living God. In fact, wherever you are, since you don't have fans, you can do this. I tell you to blow on each other. We're not supposed to do that right now. So instead, you can just do this. To feel the wind. Be reminded of the blowing of the spirit of God that promises to blow life into every death. Let the fans stay on here to be reminded that this place, to be reminded that wherever you are, where you hear the word which is proclaimed in this place, which means wherever you are, that those are places where the spirit of the living God blows, and so nothing is beyond hope or beyond life. To be reminded that spirit of the living God is none other than the spirit of Jesus. Living God in the flesh who went around blowing that spirit wherever he went. Like in that sad, so sad, so hopeless, so dead valley outside his friend's tomb. Lazarus, come out! We're not told in the text, but I'm pretty sure that that voice of Jesus was accompanied by a great wind. Whoosh! And the stone away, and Lazarus comes out. It's the same spirit, the same wind that Jesus blew out upon the whole world. For you and for me, when he gave up his spirit, literally blew out his wind, John 19.30, from the cross. The same wind that blew the stone off the tomb where they laid him and still blows hope from despair, life from death, wherever the name of Jesus is proclaimed. And no, we don't have it all yet. You don't have to remind me. A lot of the bones are still scattered and dry. I still only know that man in the droopy socks from pictures and stories. But it has begun. And you've seen the leaves begin to rustle. 
The fans are on and the wind is blowing. It doesn't happen all at once, but it has begun to happen. The first fruits, the first breezes, the first forgivenesses, the first mercies, the first graces, the first reconciliations. And that means that's the promise that it will happen. So hang in there, friends. For the day is coming when all the valleys get lifted up and all the dry bones become an army again and all the old soldiers embrace and all the pretty little girls get to dance with the dads who died too young. And most glorious of all, everyone's, yours and mine and grandpa's and all God's children's, everyone's socks fit just right. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, amen.